Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Welcome to Transfiguration Sunday. This is the apex of the liturgical season that we call Epiphany. Since the beginning of January, week after week, we have been moving towards today. We have been given hints and signs and symbols, intimations and paths leading us towards today's message. We've come across a star and a dove Jars of water turned into wine, the calling of the twelve disciples, the feeding of the five thousand. All of these stories are moments that have been leading us literally to today's mountaintop experience. And now, ostensibly, we've arrived. So where are we and what's going on? Well, as we just heard in the beautiful telling of today's gospel story, we are on a mountaintop. And we are with Jesus and some very other interesting characters. Yes, of course. But how and why is this an important moment, both in the church and maybe even more especially in our individual lives today? Because we all know, however powerful a mountaintop experience is, it's just that. It's an experience. And it doesn't last forever. So what happens after that? What happens after that for Jesus, after he comes down from the mountain? And why do we read a version of this story every year at the end of the season of Epiphany and on the Sunday just before we start the season called Lent? You see, in our three-year cycle of scheduled readings called the Lectionary, the story of Jesus' transfiguration is a sign for this particular Sunday every year from one of the different Gospels. The Sunday that ends the season we are finishing, which is also the Sunday before the next season, as I said, the beginning of Lent. So here we are again, trying to find meaning in a story that for some of us we have heard year after year after year, trying to make sense from any kind of, well, a story that has no empirical data and no perspective of real truth or verifiable facts. But a story that I want to suggest this morning may in fact give us some strength and some solace for the journey as well as a glimmer of hope, especially on a day like today. You see, today is a hard day for many of us. On the global stage, we've entered a time of uncertainty and fear. When earlier this week, Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, unleashing airstrikes on cities and military bases, as well as sending troops and tanks from multiple directions in a move that some fear could rewrite the world's geopolitical landscape forever. As I've followed this horrific news day by day, it seems clear to me that launching unprovoked attacks on a sovereign nation without any evidence of an impending threat is clearly immoral and unethical. 
It's immoral regardless of who is doing it, Russia or any other nation. And I hope that we can pray for wisdom for the diplomats and the heads of state that are seeking to keep this from escalating to an all-out world war. This is a hard time. A hard time, and it's difficult to stay optimistic, let alone feel anywhere near a mountaintop when we look at the events in the world. And then we add to that the heartbreaking and devastating news that this past Tuesday, we lost Trinity member Dave Beckwith with no warning. For days, many of us have tried to wrap our heads and our hearts around his death. The death of anyone who is loved is hard because love comes with a cost and leaves a hole in our hearts. But this death felt different for many of us, and we are still in shock. He was just here. His big voice, his grand gestures, his impassioned cry for social justice, and his unwavering insistence on changing the language of any text, scripture, reading, prayer, or song that didn't reflect completely inclusive language. And now he's gone. So today is hard to be sure. Our hearts are broken. And perhaps a sermon on the importance of Jesus's mountaintop experience is going a bit too far. I get it. So I begin with a big ask today. I want to ask that you stay with me, stay right here for just a few moments, and suspend your understandable skepticism, perhaps, about what we might discover together in this Gospel's lesson. To be clear, I am frightened and I am hurting as well. And I have absolutely no desire to try to fade or fix or change anything that we might be feeling. Our pain and our fear are real today, individually and collectively. And in fact, I think that it is just the opposite of trying to fade or fix. I think what we're called to do today is to bring all of it. I think this is the kind of day when we need to bring everything that we're feeling, all of who we are and what we are going through to this holy and sacred time that we create whenever and however this community gathers together. Because frankly, any spiritual path that can't hold all of this, whether it's pain, joy, or fear, seems pretty worthless in my opinion. I pray that on a day like today, we resist the temptation to confuse or conflate or confound Jesus's message of radical love, inclusivity, and equality as something the world can easily digest and always understand. So bring it all. Bring it all right here. Don't hold back. I have to believe that we will be better for all of who we are, who we are and what we are feeling right now. So let's start with a quick recap of what we've just heard in the Gospel lesson from Luke. We are near the end of Jesus' ministry, and he has taken Peter and James and John up a mountain, and while they are up there, something remarkable, or we might say unbelievable, happens to Jesus. Everything about him changes in an instant. His face, his clothes, 
everything about him is, well, different, along with a shining bright light that seems to take over the scene. And then things get even weirder when he is joined by Moses and Elijah. Much has been written about why the storyteller picks these two historic figures. The most popular theory is that Moses, who must have lived some 15 centuries earlier, represented the Jewish law. And Elijah, also from centuries past, represented the Jewish prophets. This bringing together of spirits past and present creates a powerful moment in the story that then leads up to what we assume is God's voice from heaven, directing Peter, James, and John to listen to Jesus. In other words, the storyteller seems to be underscoring the importance of what Jesus is going to represent in the future going forward. A paradigm shift, if you will, a new path, a new way of living and loving and following God in the world. It seems to me that Luke believes Jesus is the completion of the law and the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Hebrew scriptures. This is it. In other words, here we are. We have arrived. This is the spiritual moment. All in all, a pretty mind-blowing trip up the mountain by anyone's standards. We read this story in all three synoptic gospels. Each version is equally impressive and elaborates a rich imagery and language. And yet, if we read carefully, we notice that there is something different in each of the versions that we hear in the Gospels. In Luke's version, there is a phrase not included in Matthew or Mark's version of the story. It's a phrase with a particular word that I've never noticed before, and perhaps I didn't notice it because I didn't need to notice it, but I think I do today. In Matthew's version, we read this verse. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then in Mark's version, we read the same verse, Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then here is the parallel version that we just heard from the Gospel according to Luke. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, and were speaking of his departure. Did you hear it? This morning's version is unique because the storyteller has included what Moses and Elijah were talking about. They were speaking of Jesus's departure. In Greek, the word departure is translated as exodus. I never noticed that before. But as we think about it, we shouldn't really be surprised that both Moses and Elijah are having a discussion about Jesus's imminent exodus. It is, after all, what the three of them have in common. Each of them has experienced an exodus. They know what departure looks like and feels like. Each of them has been called to leave something, a people, a place, a way of being, an oppressive system or regime, an exodus moving them from the known to the unknown in order to seek liberation and justice. And in Jesus's case, his ministry teaching us that leaving is often the way that we need to embrace the peace of God.
Moses and Elijah seem to know all of that. And in Jesus, they see it again. His exodus, his ultimate departure is about to begin. This is the story in which Jesus comes down from the mountain and then starts heading for the last time to Jerusalem. Jesus' own exodus will be complex and complicated once he comes off that, mar that mountain. He starts making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And if we can suspend our disbelief, not knowing what happens next, you can imagine what James and John and Peter are hearing. All of this takes a new turn today with the message of transfiguration, a message of change. It is this moment of changing how we see and are seen that captures and holds my weary, hurting heart today. Could it be that today we might find some comfort and courage by learning to see in a new way, through a different light, a different filter, inspired by a mountaintop experience that we read in each of these three Gospels, offering us some insight into how we can live our lives? I want to close with a beautiful poem this morning, a poem by Madeline Lengel. She reminds us of this invitation to see differently and to think differently is sometimes the best way to bring healing, wholeness, and change into our lives. I hear the words in her poem as both a promise and a possibility, even in the times when I am skeptical. For even the most broken-hearted of us, among us today need a word of hope. Maybe today, standing on that mountaintop just for a minute next to Jesus and Moses and Elijah, even amidst our fear and our grief, we can indeed feel the promise of the warmth of a shimmering light for a moment, even if it still feels elusive at best. A light that has a power to change everything a light that may shift how we see and experience. May her words reassure us of who and what and how God's love comes to us in the unexpected, sometimes transfigured, transfigured ways, on a mountaintop or in a kitchen, out in nature or when we're at work, tending to a sick child or maybe marching in a protest, in the quiet of the night, or in the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives. Take these words in, my beloved friends, along with the love of this beautiful community, because whoever you are and wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey today, know that indeed you are welcome and wanted here. Transfiguration. Suddenly they saw him the way he was, the way he really was all the time, although they had never seen it before, the glory which blinds the everyday eye and so becomes invisible. This is how he was, radiant, brilliant, carrying joy like a flaming sun in his hands. This is the way he was, is, from the beginning, and we cannot bear it. So he manned himself, came manifest to us, and there on the mountain they saw him, really saw him, saw his light. We all know that if we really see him, we die. 
but isn't that what is required of us, then perhaps we will see each other too. May you never forget that you are loved. May it be so.